0: morning brothers and sisters we extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship and also those who have joined us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. The consistory has the following announcements. Brother Max Hitting has arrived with an attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Rockingham and we welcome this brother into our congregation. An attestation has been requested by Sister Natasha Lewis to the Free-Reformed Church of Darling Downs and we wish her the Lord's blessing in her new congregation. An attestation has been requested by Reverend and Mrs. Poppy with their two baptized children Timothy and Matthew to the Free-Reformed Church of Carter Brook. An attestation has also been requested by the brothers Ben and David Poppy to the Reformed Church of Carter Brook and we wish the Poppy family the Lord's blessings and a new congregation next month. This morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we begin, let us sing together from Hymn 65, verse 1, 2 and 4. Mm.
1: rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing of the the blessing that the Lord gives to his people, that they endure forever. Psalm 125, the verses 1 and 2. us as law to convict us of our sin and to show us how much our saviour has done for us. Let's listen to the words of God's law as it comes to us this morning in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath." Let's now sing together from Psalm 65, the verses 2 and 3. this psalm, we're going to make confession of our sin and also sing of the Lord's willingness to forgive his people. Psalm 65, verses 2 and 3. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord, because you are the awesome God. You are seated on the throne with power, with authority, with glory, with majesty. You are a brilliant light, and this light shines, and all who come into your presence, they are amazed at your glory and your majesty. The the great angels, the cherubim, they are. They're flying around you and they're singing your praise that you are the holy, holy, holy God. And you have the 24 elders who are bowing down before you, the representatives of your church. They're giving you the honor and the glory because of the majesty that you have. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that we can join with them, that we can come into your presence, and we do so with a great deal of humility. We acknowledge that you're the glorious God, that you're awesome and you're holy. We, we humble ourselves before you. Father, we also wish to to praise you for your faithfulness. You're a God who's true to your word. You do that not just for over the course of a week or two or, or a few months or a few years, but you do that over centuries and you do that over millennia. You do that over the history of the world. And then Lord, we we stand in awe of you. We give you glory for that. Thank you for the promises that you've made to your people, and thank you for being willing to fulfill those promises. One of the greatest promises you've given us, Lord, is, is the promise to forgive us. we just sang together that we, when we are grieved by our transgressions and when we're overwhelmed by our sins, that you block them out in your compassion and you give us peace again. Lord, we, we do confess our sins to you. We are those who, who have fallen short. We've just heard your law. You call us to, to trust in you and to worship you alone. We have to confess, Lord, that many times we don't trust in you. We trust in ourselves. And instead of worshipping you alone, we're we're guilty of idolatry. Many times we're not focused on your glory and your name and your holy day, but we're focused on ourselves. And we repent of that. We we pray for your grace and forgiveness. In a like way, we're also focused on ourselves, and that causes a lot of conflict with the people around us, Lord. Sometimes we get angry with people. We're selfish. We... We want what we want, and we get upset with other people because they get in our way. Sometimes we're deceptive. We don't tell the whole truth, but we tell little white lies. Sometimes we gossip, or we slander other people. Sometimes we, we give in to lust, and we allow lust to have a place in our hearts. Sometimes we're greedy and covetous. Lord, there's so many sins. We ask for your grace and for your forgiveness. We pray that for Jesus' sake that you would show us mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you promised to do this. We ask that that you would please make it happen, that you wash us clean. It's really costly to repent, Lord. It means we have to renounce our sinful ways. It means that we have to turn away from it. It means we need to change a life. Even more foundationally, it means that we need a change of heart. And that's the hardest thing for us, Lord. And so we come to you and we ask for your grace. We pray that you would, you would help us with these things. You bring us to this point. We thank you to that end, Lord, that you give us your word. It's in your word that you convict us of who you are and also of who we are. Pray for a blessing over your word this morning, Lord, that when we open the Bible, that we can read what you have to say to us, that we can reflect on that together, and that this may be a blessing for us. That through the proclamation of your word, that we draw near to you, and that we we flee from sin. Please give us your Holy Spirit to this end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, the, uh, the text for the sermon this morning is taken from 1 John 2. I'm going to preach on the verses 15 to 17, and in connection with that, I'd like, just like to read the verses prior to that to put it into context. So, I've written there, we're going to read 1 John 2, the verses 1 to 14, and what I'd actually like to do is actually just go back a few verses before that to 1 John 1, verse 5. So, you can find that on page 1210 of your guest Bible. 1 John 1, we're going to start reading at verse 5. In 1 John 1, verse 5, God's word says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have, that you have heard. and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and because the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 102, the verses 1, 2, 10, and 11. The text for the sermon this morning is taken from the verses just after the ones we read. It's 1 John 2, the verses 15 through 17. Let's read those verses together. 1 John chapter 2, the verses 15 to 17. There God says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 72, verses 1 through 5. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, are you going to be faithful to God through to the end of your life? When you come to the end of your life, you stand before the throne of grace, is God going to welcome you into his kingdom? Well done, good and faithful servant. Or is he going to exclude you? Get away from me. I never knew you. If I'm not mistaken, if I was to have a personal conversation with you, if I was to ask the question just to see where you're at, then I think most of you would say to me, I'm in. I believe in God. I trust Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. I know Him as my Savior. And I fully expect that I'm going to share with Jesus Christ in His eternal kingdom. But you know, if you read through the Bible, But it's often happened that the, the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament, they warned God's people because they said to them, you think that you're in, but you're not really in. You've drifted. You've made compromises. You become hardened in sin. It is as the Lord Jesus says, Matthew 7, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, Christ wants you to be among the few, brothers and sisters. And so what does it take? Well, the Apostle John, he writes this letter to the churches. He's an old man by this stage. He addresses them in 2 verse 1 as my little children. As an old man, he's coming near to the end of his life. He reflects back on life. It's when you get old and when you're in that stage of life that you often see things for what they really are. And you can see the truth of the matter. Pretty soon, you're going to stand before the Lord's throne of grace. Pretty soon, you're going to give an accounting for your life for everything that you have ever done. And then what happens is all the shackles fall away, and you can be brutally honest with yourself. Well, John's in that place, and so what he does for us, what he does for the church, is he he contrasts these ultimate realities. In one John one and two, he says, "God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all." And he says, "If you say you have fellowship with Him," but you walk in the darkness, you're lying. You don't actually have fellowship with him. He says in the next verse is, if you confess your sins, then he will forgive you. But if you're not willing to confess your sins, if you say that you haven't sinned, or if you act as if you're pretending that you've never sinned, then really, you're calling God a liar when he calls out your sin. And in that case, you're not walking in the truth. If you say that you're in the light, and that you, yet you hate your brother, then you're not walking in the light. Then you're walking in the darkness. John doesn't mince words, brothers and sisters. It's either or. If you walk in the darkness, if you refuse to confess your sins, if you hate your brother, and the last one he talks about is refusing to obey God's commands, If you say that you love God and you don't actually obey His commands, you're lying to yourself. You don't actually love God. Well, in all those cases, he says that you're not God's child. And now he does the same thing here in our text with the world. If you love the world, John says, that you don't love the Father. It's one or the other. Either you love the Father, or you love the world. Well, it's really kind that the Lord tells us this, brothers and sisters. He loves us. And He wants us to share in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so He's honest with us. And He tells us the truth. He calls it out for what it is. I preach God's word to you with this theme, the world or the Father. You can't love both. We're going to see in the first place that the world and its desires are passing away. And secondly, that the one who does the will of God abides forever. John starts, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, that the love of the Father is not in him. Now you hear the command, brothers and sisters, and you wonder to yourself, well, what is the world?" What's John referring to when he says, do not love the world? And it's interesting, if you read through the Gospel of John and also if you read through his letters, that he uses this word world in a bunch of different ways. The, the one way he sometimes uses it, it's not the main way, it's just very occasionally, he uses the world to refer to the world of those who believe in God. So, for example, in 1 John 1, verse 2, it's the world of believers. But most of the time, the way he refers to the world is the world of sin and death. In 1 John 3, verse 1, we're told that the world is ignorant of God. It hates the believers, 3, verse 13. It is the place of false prophets, 4, verse 1. It's the place of the antichrist, 4, verse 3. And it's the place of unbelievers, in 4, verse 5. In 1 John 5, verse 19, John says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And that's the way that John's using this this word here in our text. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It is referring to those who live in sin, those who live in rebellion against God. And that's how he explains it in the next verses. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So in the first place here, is he warns against the desires of the flesh. Now the word for desire, it's usually used in the scriptures. It's, it's craving, it's lust, it's desire, and it's usually used of sexual desire. In Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, Then he goes on to talk about what the desires of the flesh are, and the first three are about sexual sin. He warns against sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. You can think here of Solomon's warning, Proverbs 6.25. He speaks of the adulteress, of the prostitute, and he warns his son, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. It's the warning of our Lord Jesus, Matthew 5.28, where he says, that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. But then we should realize that when John talks about the desires of the flesh, he's not only talking about lust, it's also broader than that. In Galatians five nineteen to 21, and also in 1 Peter 4, verse 2, it's used to refer to things like conflict and anger, like selfishness and idolatry, like partying and drunkenness. Well, John's saying, and we get that, he's saying these things don't come from God. If you're viewing pornography, if you're partying with your friends and getting drunk, if you're living in conflict with other people, you often get mad at others, that's your sinful desires within you. That's not from God. That's from the world. If you make an idol out of sports or entertainment, if you make an idol out of comfort or out of pleasure... Those things are from the world. That's not from God. The next thing that John warns us against is he warns us against the desire of the eyes. You see something and you want it. It's covetousness. Think of Achan, Joshua 7.21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them." Well, that's the desire of the eyes. So in 1 Timothy 6.8, the Lord teaches us to be content with food and clothing, and He warns us, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you are covetous, If you see things, and if you want them, and if you act on that, then John's saying, that doesn't come from God. He says, that comes from the world. And the third place, John warrants against having pride in our possessions. Now, the truth is, the Lord's a good God, and the Lord delights to give many good things to his children. It's his great joy to bless us. He's not a God who wishes us to live in perpetual poverty, but He loves to give good gifts to His children. When He brings the Israelites out of Egypt and He brings them into the Promised Land, then He promises them. He says, I'm going to bless you in every way. You're going to have houses you didn't build, and you're going to have vineyards you didn't plant, you're going to have olive groves that you didn't plant, I'm going to give you flocks and herds, and I'm going to give you everything. But then right away He says to them, He says, watch out, that you don't become proud. Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, take care lest when all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. That's the pride in possessions. You know, sometimes it's not something conscious, brothers and sisters. If you are poor, like if you literally don't know how you're going to make ends meet and you're really struggling, then you pray and pray and pray and pray some more because you need the Lord. But if your fridge is full and if your pantry's full, then you kind of know where your next meal is going to come from. And if you've paid off your mortgage, then there's no stress. You don't think about having to pay off a mortgage. And if you have lots of money in your super and lots of money in your investment properties and you're in the share market, and whatever else, you don't really worry about how you're going to make everything happen. And then it's really easy to slip into pride, to forget the Lord, and to drift away from him. Well, that's the warning. If that happens to you, John says, that's not from the Father. That's from the world. And it's not just pride in possessions. The word for possessions here, it's literally the word bios. You get the word biology. It's a pride of life. And sometimes the word is translated as possessions, and sometimes it's just translated as life. And so what John's warning us here, there's, there's one translation, it translated as a pride in what man has and does. And that's really the warning here. Sometimes we're proud of what we have, and other times we're proud of what we do. We have all these different things that we accomplish. We can set out and we can accomplish all sorts of things. And if you're able to do all these different things, then it's really easy to become proud. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look who I am. Well, again, John says, that's not from the wa- Father. That's from the world. It went, in James 4, verse 16, the Lord warns us against boasting in our arrogance that we'll move around from one city to the next, that we'll make money here and make some more money there. And James says to us, he says, all such boasting is evil. Well, if you you reflect on this, brothers and sisters, do you understand what John's saying here then? He's telling us, do not love the world. And he's warning us against pornography, against sexual immorality, against partying and drunkenness, against greed and covetousness, against pride in what we have and what we can do. He's warning us against being selfish and getting mad at others You're getting caught up in the idolatry of sports, the idolatry of other things. He's saying these things are worldly. They are not from the Father. And if you live in these ways, then you're living in worldly ways. And he's saying, if you love the world, then you don't love the Father. It's either or. You cannot love both God and Mammon. You cannot love the Father and the world. It doesn't work that way. Now you think about that, brothers and sisters, you say to yourself, I do love the Father. I love God. And I need God. And I love to to come to church and to hear about Him. And I love to confess my sins to Him. And I delight to send my children to a Christian school. And I recognize that I fall short, and I confess my sins to God, and I rely on Christ to set me, tr- set me free from my sins. Now, by and large, brothers and sisters, from what I know of you, that's where you're at. You do know God. You do love Him. You do want to walk with Him. You do want to serve Him. But isn't it true that that love is also being profoundly challenged? But isn't it true but instead of meeting the challenge, that at times we fail. And maybe if I can ask you to go home, pull out your phone, and check your screen time. You know if you spend five minutes reading the Bible in a day, maybe 10 minutes, if you do it for a really long time, and then you spend two or three or four or six hours. On your phone, on social media and watching sports and watching TV and on marketplace, on reading the news and all doing all sorts of those different things, then who do you really love? Who has your heart? And what do you really care about? If nine-tenths of your time is spent engaging with the world about the things that are important to the world, if that's where your heart is then what impact is that going to have on your heart? You can send your kids to a Christian school, you can take them to church here, you can send them to catechism, but if their life is on their phone, then they live a parallel existence. Is it really true that they love the Lord with all their heart? Our world is focused on self, brothers and sisters. It's love of self. Follow your dream. Do what you want. Build a life that you find satisfying and fulfilling. And include in your life whatever it is that you really want. And forget about doing whatever you think is dumb and boring. What leads to profound selfishness? Kids have all the time in the world for chatting with their friends on Google Hangouts, watching cricket, going out with their friends to the mall, or spending time in Marketplace, but it's really hard for them to get their homework done. And they're too busy to help mom with the dishes. They got no time to go out in the yard and do something that dad asked them to do. Instead of taking responsibility, instead of living a life of service, life's about going out with your friends, and buying lattes, and fixing up your four by four. They live at mom and dad's place for a bunch of extra years. They got no money for a down payment for a house until they're quite a bit older. And One of the things, brothers and sisters, that I've often reflected on is what's motivating us in the career choices that we're making? What's driving it? Is what's driving it a love for the father? Lord, you've saved me. You've redeemed me. I belong to you. You have a claim on my life, and I'm going to give my life to you. And I'm going to live in service before you, wherever you want me. Where can I serve you in your kingdom? How can I use my gifts to honor you? How many kids are thinking, where can I make the most money the quickest so that I get to live the kind of life that I want? What kind of respect do our children have for authority, brothers and sisters? The current craze in our culture is this gentle parenting. There's lots of emphasis on understanding your child, having empathy, showing respect, and having good communication. Those are all good things. That's really important. But if that doesn't happen within the context of you setting boundaries for your kids, and you being willing to punish them when they cross the boundaries, it's not going to go well for your children. If you are trying to argue with and cajole a two-year-old child to obey you, then what's going to happen when they need to learn to obey their teacher at five years old? Or then when they need to learn to obey you when, you're, when they're 12 years old? Or when they need to learn to obey the elders when they're 18 years old? How many of our youth into pornography? How many of them go out drinking and get drunk? How many of the parties that they go to reflect a godly spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ would delight in, that he would love to visit, love to be present? How many of our youth have set it right after they bullied, after they gossiped and slandered kids at school? This is what the world does. This is what it is to be worldly, this is what John's saying. That's what worldliness looks like. And my purpose here is not to come down on the youth, because the reality is that the youth are a reflection of us as parents. It's not about them in the first place, it's about us, brothers and sisters. How much of our lives is about making money? What drove us to choose the careers that we do How much time, how much energy do we spend on building our houses and our businesses, on caring for our investment properties and our super? How much time don't we spend on our houses and our furnishings, on our clothes and our shoes, on our sheds and our tools, on our boats and our caravans, on our sports and recreation, on our entertainment and our holidays? You get together with a bunch of friends for a night, Night you're socializing, you watch a game, How much drinking goes on? How much is that a culture among us, brothers and sisters? How many of us have broken relationships, have conflict with family members, with friends in the past, we've never humbled ourselves, we never said it right, and we live in this broken place? Do you love the world, brothers and sisters? the real danger is that you begin to drift. When you start to drift, then you keep drifting. You drift on further and further and further because the world draws you in. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can have a semblance of love for the Father, you can go to the temple, you can bring your sacrifices, you can celebrate the festivals and all the special feast days, you can come to church, you can send your kids to the Christian school, you can read your Bible at the dinner table. But if it doesn't come from a love of God, if your heart is in the world, then in the end, you will keep on drifting. It's real danger for us, brothers and sisters. If I can just make one more thing to make it real. You watch a game, and you're on the edge of your seat for hours in a row, and it's done. You're going to go to bed, and you literally cannot string two thoughts together to pray to God before you fall asleep. Well, what do you love? Who do you love? You work hard all week, but there's no time in your schedule to help out at a busy bee. You have time to go out for your family with a dinner, but there's no opportunity, there's never any time to welcome a guest or a new member into your home to have a cup of coffee. You spend big dollars in buying yourself a new car or a caravan, but when Fairhaven comes knocking, there's no money left in the kitty. In Matthew 24, verse 12, the Lord Jesus warns us that the love of many will grow cold. You start to drift, you drift further, and one day there's a catalyst. One day someone at church offends you. Or one day the office bearers admonish you. Or one day your sin comes out into the open. And then you can't handle the heat. And you say, forget it, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this and you leave. A third of the scriptures is the prophets. The foundational theme of the prophets is that God's prophets come to his people and they say to them, you think you're in, but you're not really. You need to repent because if you don't repent, you will come under God's judgment. You must listen to the word. You must take it to heart. You must repent truth over time, when you look at the history of God's church through the scriptures, is the truth of it is that over time, the majority of the church drifts, and then the Lord calls back a small remnant, and they grow, and the majority drifts, and the Lord comes, calls back a small remnant, and they grow. You read the history of the church since the time of the Lord Jesus, and it's no different. It's the same thing. It happens over and over and over. But the Lord doesn't want that for us. He loves you. You are his people. He sent his son to die for you. And so he said, do not love the world. And he tells you why not. He says it's a fool's game. You're hooking your wagon to the wrong horse. If you go with the world, in the end it comes to nothing. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There is a time coming when sensual desires, when greed and lust and covetousness and conflict, they won't function anymore. They simply won't exist. There's a time coming in the new heaven and earth, no one is going to be greedy. No one is ever going to lie. No one's ever going to be covetous. No one's ever going to be self-focused and self-centered. No one will ever want to view pornography. No one will ever be motivated to try to make a lot of money. Those things don't function in new heaven and earth. This is part of the sinful life. This is part of what, what Satan does to trap us and to lead us astray. And so John's saying to us, he's saying, he's saying those things will not function in the future. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of my Father will endure forever. There is an eternal future in loving God, brothers and sisters. The recurring theme of the scriptures is that the Lord says, those who seek him, those who serve him, they will live with him. They will be secure. They have an eternal future that's in store for them. We sang a few moments ago, Psalm 125, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Or Proverbs 10.25, when the tempest passes, the wicked are no more, but the righteous are established forever. In the words of Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What it means, real life, brothers and sisters, is that insofar as you love the world, God's saying, you need to repent. You need to acknowledge that you have viewed pornography, that you have engaged in sexually immoral behavior, that you're motivated by covetousness and by a love of money, that you're drinking too much, that you're in conflict with other people around you. You have to tell God about those things. You have to be honest about it. If you confess your sins, if you say the same thing about your sin that God says about it, then he will forgive you. He's righteous and just. He will forgive your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He promises to wash it away. That's the message of 1 John 2. The very first verse is there. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Christ is the propitiation. Christ bore wrath for your sins. He paid for them. It's why you confess your sins to God, they're all wiped away. And he doesn't hold any of them against you. And what it also means, brothers and sisters, is that you need to ask God for a change of heart. You have to want it. That's the core thing. You have to want it. You have to love God. You have to want to serve Him. Lord, I love you. And I want to walk with you. And I want to be your child. And I want to do it long term. And I need your help. There is help. If you struggle with greed, with lust, you struggle with anything else, I've been there, brothers and sisters. I've struggled with greed. I've struggled with lust. And I've struggled with disrespecting authority. I've struggled with wasting my time. And then you go to the Lord and say, Lord, it's a mess that I'm sorry. And that's not who I want to be. That's not who you want me to be. You want me to be different. And so I'm asking you to please make it happen. I'm praying to you that you would help me you would forgive me for my sins that you save me that you make me into a different person that my prayer is often also please Lord please be gentle make it happen but if you could please be gentle and he is a good God and he does it for us brothers and sisters not because of who we are but because of who Christ is. And it will be painful because it means you have to give up what's dear to you. If you love something and you lose it, then it's very painful. And yet it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. It's totally worth it, brothers and sisters. Our Father warns us in very stark terms, because he wants us to know in our heart of hearts that we cannot compromise with sin. It's either or. Either you love him or you love the world. Well, he loves you. And so he calls you to love him, to be set free, and to walk with him. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 72, the verses 1 through 5. to the Lord in prayer, brothers and sisters. We may love you with all our heart. grant that we have an open heart to your word that we treasure the word and that we build our lives on it help us to be honest with ourselves lord that we're willing to hear honest words that you have to speak to us and that we can build a life on that thank you so much that you love us lord that you want to bring us into glory thank you for the grace and mercy that you extend us lord we do confess that we've all fallen short that we've all sinned against you that none of us is is worthy of your grace please help us to resist evil from the very beginning help us to be watchful and help us to to flee from temptation protect us from the devil's assaults dear father in heaven we thank you that you also give us to each other it's beautiful that we can live in community together please grant that we may encourage one another to walk in faith and in holiness before you grant, Lord, that we may focus our attention on the Lord Jesus, and that we help each other to do this. We pray a special blessing for the work of the elders, that they're able to have good oversight of your congregation, that they can speak into our lives, and that we're willing to accept their authority. Lord, thank you that you love us enough, that you give them to us, and please bless us through them. Pray, Lord, that you please be near to us in the rest of this day. I wanna ask that you would please give us a, a blessed day in fellowship with each other, Pray, Lord, that you also accept the the thank offerings that we bring before you. We do love you, and we want to show that to you, not just in the songs that we sing and the prayers we offer, but but also in the collections that we give to you, Lord. It's an expression of our our gratitude to you. We want to pray, Father, for a blessing over the work at Pindari. We're grateful that, that the men can come into the program. We want to ask that you would please help them that you assist them to be able to get free from addictions and that they're able to, to live restored lives, that they can have restoration and relationship with the people around them, that they're able to take responsibility for that. And also, Lord, that your will, that they can have beautiful relationship with you, and that they may know you as their Lord and God. Father, please accept our thank offerings, bless them to this end, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So brothers and sisters, the collection, like we just heard, it, like we just prayed about a moment ago, the collection this morning is for the Ministry of Mercy and specifically for the work of Pindari. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 74, verses 3 and 4.